Hi, everybody. This is Fox 2's Roop Raj on the May 4th, 2023 edition of Let It Rip. We talked about electric vehicles. Are we really ready for the future of our cars to be all electric? We're debating that. Plus, you know, you've heard a lot about the gender change therapy that some lawmakers are talking about across the country. So what do lawmakers here in Michigan think about it? And what about people in the trans community? We tackle that. And so with that, let's let it rip. Tonight on Let It Rip, bills across the country are pushing gender change therapy into the mainstream. Some would make it easier to access it, others would make it harder. So which approach is best? The debate between parents, advocates, and lawmakers rages on. But first, is the U.S. ready to do the electric slide? Some say the future of cars in our country is electric, but are they sustainable? And can you even afford one? The debate charges up now. And so we are ready to roll and let it rip with automotive analyst John McElroy with AutoLine, Anderson Economic Group founder Patrick Anderson, and as always, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton. So let's let it rip and let's talk about this. All right, so the promise for all electric to go all electric was going to be more jobs. It was going to be success. We're going to have, you know, this great enrichment of our, our job pool and all these great things. And we just now in the headlines, ripped from the headlines, talked about General Motors saving $2 billion to switch over to electric. And so they're laying people off. Uh, this is not the narrative that people were excited to hear about. Patrick, I'll begin with you. Uh, is that a surprise to you? No. Why? You now have Ford, GM, and Stellantis Chrysler all taking big chunks of their workforce. Most recently, contractors at GM on top of asking 55,000 people to voluntarily lay off, on top of a previous 500 executives. Ford, similarly, these are reductions in force of people who by and large are doing productive jobs, building products that Americans are buying on which Ford, GM, and Chrysler are making money. So they're building cars that are combustion engines that we have all known for all these years, and now they're switching over, at least they have to, to electric. And John McElroy, in doing so, General Motors would probably argue these are growing pains, but we're about to make a lot of money here, and we're, this is the future. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do, absolutely. And in fact, the whole industry is going that way. It's investing tens of billions of dollars, if not, or if you put it all together globally, hundreds of billions of dollars. The trains left the station. China's way out in front. Europe is going after its heels. We're trying to catch up so that we don't have to depend on China for this future of where the automotive industry is going. And there's all these job cuts. It's got nothing to do with the EV thing right now. Stellantis wants to get rid of employees for cost reasons. They're using EVs as an excuse to be able to do this. They have not built one electric car yet. Not in the United States, they haven't. So they're using this as an excuse they're really going after cost But cutting. John, General Motors has uh, said, look, we got to cut some of these things, cut some of these jobs because we have to switch over to electric. Is that an excuse for them as well? No, I don't agree with that because it takes as many engineers to engineer an electric car as it does an ICE one. There's fewer parts There's in an electric car, There's fewer parts right? in an electric car and there will be job losses in blue collar assembly plants. Anybody who makes parts for ICE engines, internal combustion engines, their jobs are at threat too. Now this is going to take another decade or two to play out, but the future is going electric. Charlie, we need a grid that works in order to go electric. I talked to, uh, you know, the uh, Trevor Paul, who's with DTE, and he basically said, hey, you know, we're working on the grid. We want to improve it. We got to make investments or raising the rates. 
the average Joe who's watching right now, our good friends who are Fox 2 viewers are going, wait a minute here, we can't even sustain my fridge and my house's power, much less all these people going electric. Do you think it's time? Uh, it may be time, but the, not until they can bring the prices of the cars down. I don't care how many grids you have. I don't care how many jobs are creation. The, the price of the vehicle, the price of the product must go down. The average person, at least the people I've talked to, unscientific survey, I, they're not buying them. They don't want to buy them right now because of all the uncertainties. And so the PR people have to get together and really promote, but they've got to do it in a way that makes it an affordable product. I don't think it's affordable right now. Patrick, your group just did a study where you took a very close look at this. And two big things that I read in that report that were glaring infrastructure and also what Charlie's saying, cost. Uh, how affordable are electric cars for most people who are watching? They're not. And that's the big issue, just as you said. We have now approximately three quarters of the electric vehicles are luxury car priced. Now, they're fancy cars. I drive one. They're great cars. But they cost too much for an average American. And just as you said, you're not going to get average Americans and people buying their first new car to pony up $66,000, which was a recent average transaction, let alone 80 or 90 or 100, which is what a lot of the fancier vehicles that are being displayed. Now, there are some advantages. I, I enjoy some of the advantages, but it does start off with you've got to fulfill customer needs at a reasonable price. And this is one of the reasons why I'm not surprised at the job cuts and why I consider the decisions that are being made to be quite risky when you're putting so many eggs in one basket and 90% plus of Americans are still buying ICE vehicles. But we got to remember, and when you say ICE time with the, the internal combustion engines, but bottom line is this, we can't just look at America, we have to look at the world. Look at China, look at, you know, GM yeah. is not a, an American only automaker. They're selling all over the world. So what about the rest of the world? Aren't they ready more than us, maybe? I, I can believe uh, GM sells more vehicles in China. Uh, Used to. They don't anymore? Not, not anymore. Okay. No, and another the close thing to keep right? in, in mind yeah. here is, yeah, it's true that you're talking about luxury electric cars. Well, guess what? The average American can't afford a luxury car anyway. Right. And so we're going to see cheaper electric cars coming out. In fact, this year alone, General Motors is going to be bringing out the all-electric Chevrolet Equinox for about $30,000. I would say that's very affordable for the vast majority of new car buyers. You're going to see a second generation of batteries coming out in around 2025. GM, Ultium, they've got that coming in 2025. Tesla's got its next generation battery coming too. You're going to see a dramatic drop in the cost of manufacturing these batteries. The experts I talk to at the car companies say around 2026 or so, the cost parity will be achieved where electric cars cost just the same to make as internal combustion cars. Patrick, a little bit about the infrastructure. That's another point in the Anderson yeah. report that came out that says, hey, wait a minute here. You got a real issue here when it comes to infrastructure. Tell, build that out for us. What does that look yeah. like? I, I, I sure, certainly hope you're right, but let me know. We're laying off people now. Not because of EVs. And the claims that are made by manufacturers include that they said they needed to reduce costs here so they can invest there. And we have, and I just looked at General Motors' statement, I looked also at Ford's, and they say by 2025 or 2026, we're going to have these things. I think they're probably right. However, 
Right now, we're laying people off. And right now, what you got there in your hand? If you want to go get your car <laughs> fueled up, your EV, like I did on my way down here, you got about 100 places in the whole state of Michigan where, if they work, but President you get Biden a fast says 500,000 are in the pipeline. Will they get here quickly enough, John? Well, look, it's going to take years to build this out. Just as, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the automobile, there were no gas stations. You had to go to a grocery, not a grocery, a general store. You had to go to a pharmacy to be able to buy gasoline. And yet car sales just exploded and the infrastructure came along. That's exactly what's happening right now in the United States. Look at just four years ago, the level of chargers that were available just in this area. Oh my gosh, there's so many more right now. In another five years, it's Don't going to be it's that much more. going to take a real PR issue to uh, make the public sure that if they go on a long trip, that they're going to find a place to charge up the car and that and not only that but they can charge the car up in a reasonable amount of time for these long trips I don't know how many miles to the gallon or however they measure it right now but the perception out there is that we're not ready yet let them build the car maybe it'll take four or five years but the infrastructure is just not there and that I think is hurting the public's perception of electric cars today when you think a little bit about what people are struggling to do right now put food on the table get the kids to school do all of that yeah, there's some people on ivory towers who may be imagining this future that most Americans aren't a part of. John, are you concerned about the disparity in places like Detroit and some rural areas where they just don't have the infrastructure or the charging stations to make this happen? This is changing, and it's changing very, very rapidly. Will and it change quickly enough for those folks well, look, I'm talking about? EVs right now are not for everybody. They're just not. If you want to drive long distances, if you want to tow heavy loads, if you drive in, in cold weather all the time, wait. You're not ready for an EV just yet. Give it before the end of the decade and it's going to be there. But EVs right now are for people especially who can plug in at home, who in most Americans drive less than 40 miles a day. And so, yeah, if you're going to take uh, long road trips, they're not ready yet. But for anything else and just about everything else, they're better than an internal combustion well, engine. Well, the big car. argument, the people who oppose electric, uh, this aggressive rollout of, of, of electric vehicles will say, you know, they start saying to people like you, Patrick, well, I guess you just want to be on a horse and buggy. Uh, do you resent that? I mean, do you think that you're an obstructionist to technology right. in the future? Or are you just being Again, a realist? I drove an EV here. I waited at Novi for one of the approximately 100 spots in the entire state. How long where did you wait? If they How long did you wait? I, I, if I had been five minutes later, there'd have been no spot. And when I pulled out, there was a, there were two Mackies, and I, I moved it so I could let the guy who was waiting longer slide in before the other guy. Okay, and none of them, none of them, because I went and checked. We're going anywhere near their rated capacity. Mine was getting 68 kilowatts, big sign on it, 350 kilowatts. You're reading advertisements saying, we can charge this up in 20 minutes. And then if you don't read the technical, <laughs> well, that's from 20 to 80, and that's if you can get it 300 or 200. That's you, bad. You, you, that's you, not good. And you, go talked to Nova, to, you talked about the pricing. <laughs> yeah. You said something, an astronomical percentage of the number of cars that are out there that are electric are considered luxury cars, right? That's right. There's from the Anderson Economic Group uh, Auto Dashboard, which <laughs> I recommend it, what, what is it, though? It's 70-some percent? Ah, 77.8% in quarter two of uh, 22 were luxury cars. 
and the EVs. John, I know you mentioned the Equinox, but this, this, the tide has to yeah, change, well, right? This is how the auto industry always does it. When a new technology comes out, whether it's adaptive cruise control, power windows, you name it, it always starts in luxury cars and it moves its way down the market. You start out where people will pay a premium for it, where you can start making a profit, you start growing your volume. This industry is all about scale. You hit the scale and then everybody's Where got are we it. heading with That's these headwinds? Gonna we're going to see. John McElroy says this is the way of the future. Patrick says, let's watch where we're driving first. This is interesting <laughs> stuff. All right, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. And we are giving you the last word on this topic. I took Let It Rip on the road to the Milan Raceway to talk about electric vehicles. Take a look. Electric cars, yes or no? No go. I like the noise, I like the feel, I like the smell. Is America ready for electric cars? I believe so. Would you yep. get one? Yeah. Do you think, though, that if they could get the charging quicker, that that would be better? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If would they you get one? Uh, no. Electric cars, what do you think? They suck. <laughs> well, I'd like to have one. I mean, I, I drive it back and forth home. I would. Put some big tires on it. I, I'd, I'd kill it. Our infrastructure is not ready for the electric cars. Good for the environment. Great for the environment. They're fast. They can be. But I, I'm ready for the autonomous cars. Because I, I just want to sit there and just sit in my car and, and let it drive myself. It's never going to happen. I, you don't think America's ready for them? First of all, if they bring electric here, I'm done. All right, strong opinions there. Well, next, we have strong opinions on this one, too. Lawmakers across the country are taking on the gender change therapy debate, but from different angles. Some want to make accessing it easier, others more tough. So which approach is the correct one? That debate, next on Let It Rip. Back now, let it rip. Maryland's governor signed a bill yesterday protecting gender-affirming care. This, as GOP-led states, passed bills banning gender-affirming care for minors. Here to talk about this issue, Jaleesa Abad with the Fair Michigan Justice Project and State Senator Jim Runstead is also here. And yes, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton back with us as well. We thank you both for joining us today. Obviously, we have kind of a line of division here when it comes to how you both believe we should move forward here. Jaleesa, you have a very personal story as to why you feel so passionate about about gender affirming care and even gender change surgery. Talk about that for a moment. So when I think we need to talk about the LGBT community being marginalized and trans people, individually trans women of color being marginalized the most. So they experience 60% at some point in their life experience homelessness, 40% of them are unemployed. Until we just added gender identity and sexual orientation to our Elliot Larson, we didn't even have the ability to civilly sue, right? So we talk about rates of suicide. We're talking about gender affirming care, but there's a spectrum. That's everything from hormones to surgery to mental health services. And we have to keep in mind that not every trans individual wants to alter their bodies. Not every trans individual wants to take hormones. So we have to, for me, have the ability for trans individuals that want that to be able to have that because it is a difference between life or death for my community. Uh, let's, we want to get into that in a moment, Jaleesa. But Senator, lawmakers uh, are not medically trained. You're not a doctor, you're a senator, you're a lawmaker. Uh, there's many people out there say that lawmakers shouldn't restrict what a doctor prescribes or thinks is right for an individual. And in this case, they believe that lawmakers are trying to do that across the country. Do you agree with that? It very much depends on what we're talking about, whether we're talking about an adult or a minor. Adult, to me, ought to be able to do pretty much whatever they want to do. If they want to have a, uh, a surgery that alters their, their biology, their sex, I think they're 
perfectly within their rights to do that to whatever degree they want. When it's children, uh, there's a whole different set of circumstances. Uh, there was a big issue about uh, female genital mutilation based upon religious practices. Um, that uh, went all the way through the courts and uh, there are certain restrictions, you as a parent, what you can actually do to a minor child. So we're talking about whether it is an adult or a minor child, but there's also an explosion of, uh, of issues now in pertaining to transgender issues with children. Uh, back when I was young, when all of us were young, there was, this was almost unheard of. Now, I just saw a study in Reuters that 25% of the kids today, 25% don't know if they're a boy or girl. This is an explosion beyond anything that we but have Senator ever Runstead, seen. But Senator Runstead, if there is a, a young person who is having gender dysmorphia or is feeling as though they're confused, and they approach their parents and the parents agree that this child should go through something, you you, do you think lawmakers should stand in the way? I believe it's a Luton that I was listening to in the radio just today that has 10,000 different adverse reactions that have been reported by patients. That's the number one drug used to uh, as a puber puberty blocker. With all of that going on, a parent, uh, should a parent be able to make that decision even if it's catastrophically bad for the child? I don't think so. There's, there comes a point where you have parents that are disordered, who, who knows what their uh, so lawmakers know, should get involved well, should with, with stand Mal, in the way, Mal, yes? Malthusian's uh, uh, syndrome, where the parent uh, wants the kid to have a lot of operations uh, to make the parent feel good. That's illegal. You can't do that, and, and parents have been uh, parent rights have been restricted. Jalisa, there are two teens uh, who were once trans who identified as trans in Louisiana who just testified in front of their state legislature and said, "We went through a lot of these uh, you know, hormone therapies and a lot of these changes." And they weren't suicidal before, but they became suicidal through all these therapies. And they're arguing for a bill to prevent these types of surgeries, telling Louisiana lawmakers, you know what? I almost wrecked myself. Do you see their point of view? So I understand everyone's point of view, and I don't know a specific age where we should let people make the determination. But what I'm saying is, is that we should not take away the ability to let somebody make the distinction for themselves. Most of the trans individuals that I know, and I can't speak for every trans individual, they know from the inception. My family knew when I was six years old. Had I had access to all of the things that I have access to now, I believe that I would have had a better quality of life. If we talk about, again, the suicide rates within the LGBT community, that, ex that exceeds when it comes to trans people, particularly trans women. The numbers go up even higher when we talk about trans women of color, where even in our community there's a social stigma and we can't even have these conversations. So yes, I agree, but there's also kids that it's impacting and they're killing themselves because they don't have access to the things to be themselves. When you hear Senator Runstead say that back in the day we didn't hear people talking about this, this wasn't an issue. And I know exactly why. What do you, what do you do say? Do you know why it was an issue or why we weren't talking about it? Because for so long trans people were being misgendered and when you're trans yourself when you're born you don't know what trans is so forever you hear the world identify you as an effeminate gay male now as society has evolved no different than civil rights and everything else we are comfortable enough to have these conversations in the beginning in the 90s it was a mockery and Jerry Springer put trans people because they were deemed as deviant but what it did in retrospect because you had to bring so many more because it was bringing in ratings is educate people about my community and make people more aware but I think if we take a look at Senator Ronstadt's uh, statistics that 25% of, of young people don't know if they're a boy or a girl, 
isn't that the argument that we should have more education, more discussion in, in, about in that? Newsweek magazine, I think you've got the wrong Newsweek, stats there. In Newsweek magazine, I think they, that's your Newsweek, argument. In Newsweek magazine, they were talking about a social contagion. What's happening is in 1960, 90% of all transgenders were aging males, 90%. Now it is 70% teenage girls. It is crossed. If it were imagined, uh, 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 let me finish. If it were a matter just of affirming, it would have been all, all across all dem demographics. It's young girls, and they are the most susceptible. When bulimia was happening and there was a social contagion, it was hitting all young girls. The young girls are the most susceptible to these messages, and they said, how did you discover you were transgender? A friend came out, and then I started talking to them, and then I decided, or on social media. But now it went from 90% male older males to 70% are young girls. There, there is a social contagion happening, and it's being pushed a lot with an agenda. But wouldn't you say that people would say the same thing about gay individuals maybe 25, 30 years ago? The, the numbers have not exploded to that degree but I'm uh, saying, of gay but individuals. But I'm saying the stigma. Oh, or has the, has but I'm saying the stigma, Senator Runstead, that's being placed right now in the trans community. Wouldn't you I, say, I have, I have the before you pull out the stats, no, no, I want your opinion, not the stats. The, the stats are, the, the, but, the, but the, Senator, their suicides are exploding in the LGBT but, community in the last three years since they've affirmed them. But, but as the they're affirming, as they're affirming right? the, the suicides but Senator, what are, you, what are you doing as a lawmaker to help protect and help these individuals instead of legislate against the will of what they want to do? I think there's, there's a ton of things we could do in the mental health area to uh, make a difference for anyone who is struggling. It's, it's a terrible condition to not know if you're a boy or a girl, a male, a female, is a terrible condition. And my heart goes out to those people. I can't even imagine what that's like. But I also believe that along with mental health that we could be dealing with that, there also needs to be a look at what's going on within the system that's causing all the numbers I'm Jaleesa, talking about. for those out there who say this is not a physical issue, this is a mental health issue. So, what do you say to that? So let me say this, it's not a mental health issue, nothing is mentally wrong, nobody in their right mind is going to pick to transition and be trans in a world where you didn't have protections because we weren't included in Elliot Larson, to where you experience mortality at higher rates, your family, particularly in my community, the African-American Latino community, disowns you and puts you out at very young ages. And when he referred to the 1960s and aging males, these are probably aging um, white males that were already had 401ks and jobs and weren't displaced at young ages and didn't have to go through all of the disparities that trans people have to go through. I want to ask you this. In Oregon right now, minors can undergo, uh, there's legislation that says minors can undergo a re-sex assignment without parental permission. Do you think that's where the country should head? So again, I do not speak for every person. I do believe that the person themselves should be educated. If I had access at a younger age, I would have took it, and it would have been astronomical for myself. I don't know what age is suitable for everybody, but again, I don't think that we should take away the But at six years old, issue. would you have had no, that you I, would not have had it? I wouldn't have, because I wasn't educated myself, honestly. But, but, the, but the discussion should have occurred at age six. Correct. And it wasn't in your case. Because we didn't even know so what discussion to have. So is this a legislative have. change that needs to happen, or is this a societal type of change? It's a both change. 
change. What it's, do you want the legislature to do? You have a lawmaker who's going to say who's a conservative on the other end of the aisle who's sitting right next to you. You have an audience with him. What do you want lawmakers like him to consider when he goes back to Lansing? Well, the same thing that he is talking about is the same thing that also affects us. So whether the bill passes or not, we are still going to have LGBT people that are going to be killing themselves and suicidal because they don't have access to be their authentic self. Um, and that changes again with just a name change, access to mental health services, access to fair housing, fair employment, being able to use whatever bathroom you want in peace and just be human. We're not asking for astronomical services or to be treated better. We just want a quality of life that everybody is entitled to. Do you think, and I know that you don't speak for everybody and you made that clear and I appreciate that, but do you think that there are some young people who may be jumping the gun when it comes to getting perhaps a surgery done with their parents' permission, when in fact there was something else that could have been addressed? Are there cases like that that you know of in the trans I community? personally don't, okay. but again, we can't dis, dis say that it's not happening. And that's no different than with anything. We're, did we not all make decisions when we were younger that we wish we hadn't? So because of that, we're just gonna say that everybody, because there was two individuals that said, I regret this, but there was 10 that said, I wish I had access to it. So we're not gonna give them the access. And so we have states like Minnesota and Washington that right now are becoming safe havens for the trans community because of laws that they've passed. You know, it kind of goes back to like if, if, you, if you're not going to allow it here, people are going to do what they believe is best for them somewhere else. Do you see why Washington and Minnesota have become those safe havens? I, I believe that uh, it's absolutely horrific from reading about Luton and how horrible this is. They're not telling the parents, they're not telling the kids what it does to, to their uh, their bone structure. It's absolutely life altering. They're not being told this. These kids who make decisions. Uh, we just had in judiciary a whole criminal justice thing where they said they, the uh, these young people cannot make a decision a decision until they're 25. They are not their brains not formed. But they're saying at 10, 9. They can make a life-altering decision. It's crazy. Senator Runstead, Julissa, we're going to come back on the other side of the break with final thoughts. Final thoughts, Julissa. So I think that it's very important to always keep in mind electoral votes, which is my Michigan, excuse me, is a blue state, and we're able to have all of these services for trans individuals. So if there's anybody out there that needs services with name changes, gender-affirming surgery, they can reach out to me, Fair Michigan. You, on the red side, we have Senator Runstead. Senator. I, I think it's absolutely insane to have a young minor child have their breasts removed or have other alterations that are life-altering for the rest of their life, a little child making this decision. It's crazy. It's an important discussion to have, and we appreciate both of you joining us to do that. Charlie, always good to see you as well. That does it for this edition of Let It Rip. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.